Welcome to the inaugural episode of Pontoon Reimagine Now, a forum where we dissect and discuss pivotal trends in human capital management. I'm your host, Shannon Robertson, and it's my pleasure to bring you insights, trends, and thought-provoking discussions that are reshaping the landscape of human resources and executive leadership in companies across the globe. In Pontoon Reimagine Now, our mission is to provide a platform for exploring innovative ideas, shaping best practices, and reimagining the ways in which we approach the workforce of today and tomorrow. We aim to connect you, our audience, with the minds and voices that are at the forefront of change in the corporate world. Today, for our very first episode, we have the privilege of hosting a guest who embodies the spirit of innovation and transformation in the realm of human capital, Oliver Johnson, founder and CEO of Stepping Out an organization that has pioneered the development of stepping out coaching for corporate leaders. He also advises organizations on designing and implementing stepping out policies and practices. The work of stepping out focuses on the intricate balance of ensuring timely and dignified transitions for senior executives while fostering healthy succession and planning organizational rejuvenation. Stepping out's approach addresses several key aspects ensuring a mutual understanding among top team members about the natural progression of stepping out, safeguarding against age discrimination, facilitating purposeful conversations between the organization and its leaders, and providing essential support services like stepping out coaching. This thoughtful and comprehensive approach is not just about managing transitions. It's about honoring the journey and contributions of senior executives while paving the way for fresh, for, for fresh perspectives and renewed energy in leadership roles. Oliver's expertise in this area is not just beneficial for the individuals involved, but is also crucial for the health and sustainability of the entire organization. Today, we'll explore why stepping out policy is essential, how it benefits both the executives and the organization, and the best practices for implementing such a policy. So without further ado, let's welcome Oliver. Oliver, thank you for being here today. My pleasure, Shannon. Lovely to see you. It's really nice to see you too. So I um, will dive right into my first question. Can you walk us through the genesis of stepping out concept and what specific needs in the corporate world it addresses? I can, of course, Shannon. Thank you. Um, maybe the first thing I should do is say a little bit just about me, because that's that's part of the obviously the genesis. So I'm 71. I'll be 72 this year. I'm on my second encore career. So I retired as um, director of leadership consulting in Penna PLC, but I wasn't ready to retire. Um, set up my own coaching practice, ran that for five years, but I wasn't ready to retire. So I then set up stepping out from the top team, and that's what keeps me busy. A couple of days a week, sometimes three days a week, but it allows me plenty of time to do all the other things that 71-year-olds should be doing. And I've worked with about 200 senior leaders. I think it's 197 senior leaders in this transition. Wow. The, the other thing that, that is maybe relevant to set the scene is last year we did a, a study on, um, it was called Retiring Senior Executives Can Look After Themselves, Can't They? And I was really looking at this whole area and there were some very interesting uh, findings from that because we asked 90 senior HR people for their opinions. Only 5% of senior executives are very well equipped to step out successfully. That means 95% aren't very well equipped. Um, Only 23% of organisations are considered very supportive of their senior leaders. 
in the process of transitioning. And only 9% of the organisations that, that, um, that, that completed the study with us um, have a formal approach to helping people to step out. That means over 90% of organisations are leaving it to chance. So those are just some things which maybe set the scene. I think there are four lenses that are worth looking at this through in terms of the genesis of it. The first one is the company view. The second one is, is my own journey. The third one is what I've learned from coaching others and then the societal view. And just to set the scene, and then we can talk about them in more detail as it comes up. McKinsey, in uh, in a recent report, said hardly anything that happens in a company is more important than a high-level transition. But yet we tend not to give high-level transitions that much focus, and I'm sure we'll come back to that. Um, it was also in a report around the same time, it was 2019, from Deloitte, that up to 46% of transitions are regard, regarded as failures or disappointments. So almost half of the, of the transitions of the most senior people in organisations are disappointing. Um, that's a huge amount. And the costs of that are not just money. If it goes wrong, if it's, somewhere, it's not just money, but it affects... The, I, I, did, I did some research on this just before we started. It also will impact on market value it, it can create strategic dislocations so the lead, the senior leaders move and the strategy gets interrupted loss of confidence in senior leadership if the if the transition doesn't work well reduced customer supplier confidence and if you think about it just in terms of if you can't get the leadership at the top right can we be confident in you uh operational disruption reputational damage more generally, diminished firm performance, loss of employee morale and productivity, and loss of institutional knowledge. So there's a big long list of things that are impacted yeah. we don't get these right. Uh, just from my own journey, um, I was thinking back to it and thinking, because I'm still on that journey, I mean, 10 years later, because it's an ongoing journey. But I think mm -hmm. I just kept putting it off. And I put it, the idea, think about, retiring think about stepping out think about finishing career it's much easier and you're really busy so just put it off so i i was always too busy and always too young to bother mm -hmm. and then one day i realized that actually i'm too scared to look at this and i don't really have many role models of people who have done it successfully so that was i think right. genesis for me from coaching others I think everyone is different, but there are some common themes that form the sort of genesis of this. And I had been working with, with senior people as they transitioned. So before we set up stepping out from the top team, I had a body of people and I could get their experiences. Many, many senior leaders put a brave face on it because they... You know, it's their job to look resilient. It's their job not to be vulnerable. It's their job, whatever. So you ask them, say, no, I don't need any help. I'm, I'm great. I'm all set up for stepping out and I'll do it at the time is right. However, once you peek behind the musician's curtain, and I might probably just to sit and travel with people as, as they think all of this through. First of all, for a lot of people, they are more fearful than they might tell people they are. And it's things mm -hmm. like identity. 
my identity is wrapped up with the role that I play and I'm very successful and very senior. Once that stops, what is my identity? I think there's also fact, mm-hmm. which is, I had a story. So, so senior leaders, I was working with one senior leader and I asked, I asked her and I said, look, how, you know, are you clear about your financial situation? And, uh, and she said, yes, I'm, I'm very clear about it. And I said, do you think you're going to need to work? Now, this is someone whose who's annual salary was seven figures, so it's a lot of money. And she said, well, actually, yeah. my lifestyle is really quite frugal. And I went, all oh, right. She said, now, I do have three racehorses. And I thought, well, you're frugal, <laughs> frugal but are maybe slightly different. But people, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, if you turn 60 today, statistically in the Western world, you have a better than 50% of of living to 90 plus that means it's another third of your life to fund mm-hmm. and also to fill what you're going to do uh, and and the final thing just about society is as a society we're living longer so Linda Grattan's book on the 100 year life is very realistic that idea that, that turn 60 today you know you've got a life expectancy of 90 plus that's changing organizations it's changing people's understanding of career and also lots of people increasingly are not investing in pensions so when they when they can step out and whatever is is affected by it um so all of those things i was aware of when we set up stepping out so that's where it really came from yeah i mean that's fascinating to me i know i think the piece around identity um i can see it even now you know people my age when you introduce yourself one of the first questions that comes up when you are speaking to someone or getting to know someone is so what is it that you do for work and that's because it's so core to who we are is what we do every day and so i can imagine when you've identified in a role or an industry for you know 20 30 years of your life that that does become a bit scary to think about stepping away from that and not now just being Shannon as opposed to Shannon, uh, you know, partner at X, Y, and Z. I don't know if, if uh, people who are listening to this will know know of the children's character Postman Pat, but Postman Pat, English, and he spends his life as a cartoon character going around the dales of, of England and whatever. And there is that, there's that question about what do you call Postman Pat? when he's no longer a postman. It's just yeah. it's just packed. And what does that mean? And for people, particularly mm-hmm. people who've been successful, who've got to the top of their organization, that's a big thing to think through. So it can be. Yeah. Some people it's very easy and not everybody needs support. Uh, it's just quite a lot more people than we think of might, might well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, because I know sort of historically being vulnerable in, in sort of when you're in the leadership realm, it was not as prevalent, I guess. And so there's this whole idea that I've seen um, or I've heard people speaking about much more frequently, especially post-COVID around the empathetic leader and leading with empathy and vulnerability. And so do you think that this sort of next generation will experience the same kind of challenges when stepping out? That's hypothetical, of course. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the idea of supporting senior leaders in their transition from full-time employment, full-time career into whatever happens next is 
is an idea whose time has come. I think mm-hmm. a few years ago, it was a need that hadn't become a want yet, as as uh, Drucker said. And I think the reason for that is we are more accepting of the fact that it's okay to be mm-hmm. vulnerable. It's okay to go, I don't know. It's okay to go, how on earth are you meant to, to flourish for 30 years with whatever? So I hope that you're right. And I hope that the, the next generations will increasingly go, this is worth thinking through. There is no reason that I need to put a brave face on it or whatever. But I think at the moment and for the next one, we are still in a situation for senior leaders go, I can't express vulnerability in in the way that maybe I'm feeling. And therefore, those people yeah. missioning support for senior leaders need to take that into account and go, even though there's a brave face, there may be support needed. Yeah, it's 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 that idea that I don't know how to do this mm-hmm. is maybe the reason why people put off doing it. And for organizations, there's a huge cost to senior leaders who know they should step out, who know they should transition, but are hanging on. There's the notion of the, the Goldilocks dilemma, which is you can leave too early, you can leave too late, or you can get it just right. If you leave too early, that's when people go, I'm fed up with this, and there's another change, and whatever, and they throw their toys out of the plan, pram. And mm-hmm. that's a weak <laughs> source. On the other side, there's the people who hang around like the unwanted last guest at the party and refuse to leave. That can be hugely expensive. I'll give you one example of why it's expensive. In succession planning terms, I, I worked with someone. I was coaching them, and they were getting ready to step into a senior position. And and I said to him, I said, when do you expect this to be? And he laughed and he said, my boss, Margaret, is leaving in three years' time and always will be. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> said, well, the three, she's been saying that for the last five years and it's always three years ahead. And he said, I'm getting, I'm, I'm the person here, Mark, to take over, but I'm getting more and more frustrated. And actually within a very short time, he was approached by his comp- a competitor and he took the job there. So the business lost its its one of his most valuable resources. And mm. and we were talking about it and he said, you know, the what has happened is this organization has has uh, ripened me for this job only to be picked by my competitor. In the war for talent, yeah. businesses can't afford that. I mean, I like the whole Goldilocks concept. I, it's very visual for me and I can identify with uh, many different stages like you just explained. And, and I think I think the perspective of the Goldilocks dilemma, which is for the individual, them saying, when is the right time? But it's also the goal yeah. for the organization. Organizations need to go, we need to help people to leave and leave well at the right time yeah. so we can get our succession right. So the Goldilocks then works for both the organization and the individual. Yeah, it's a great concept. So Oliver, how does the stepping out policy align with modern organizational values and leadership models? I think if, if, you, if we look first of all at organizational and leadership models, I think first of all, the traditional career model has has broken down and the traditional career model of education career retirement 
it's broken down and particularly the bit, the transition between career, full on career and full on retirement has broken down. So I'm a good example of it in that I retired um, 11 years ago, but I'm still working. And I work because I love it. I, I work because I get a lot from what I do. Um, and I don't feel any need to not be working. I don't feel any need to be retired. But we don't even have a name for that bit, an agreed name between full-on career and and full-on retirement. So we're in a sort of, you know, no person's land, if you want, with even the language around this. So I think the career model, first of all, is is changing and changing fast. And that will accelerate as people are living longer and funding their pensions less. The number of people coming into this, not just senior people, but everybody coming out and going, I feel great. I don't want to retire because I, one, because I can't afford to. But even if I can, I still feel really creative, really energized. So, so that's changing. I, so that leads into the recruitment and retention model which is that we can assume that people will retire around 60 right if mm-hmm. you look back at that why is why is 60 the age that uh, that retirement was ever decided on and you know from what i've looked at in that in 1880 it was i think the chancellor in germany um at that stage first introduced um retirement pensions okay and they set it at 60 but the average life expectancy was something like 49 so it was very few people actually got to 60 never mind that the joint yeah. retirement even in 1935 in the united states when it was introduced at 60 the uh, the life expectancy was i think at that is 56 or 57 the life expectancy now is 90 plus so that whole idea of how long people will be in the workforce and how long they will be contributing that's changing quite considerably as well so that traditional model is going down and succession planning as a model I would suggest that for different reasons is is also needs to be revisited. I did a Google search of the definition of succession planning, and um, ev- the twenty people I looked at, you know, Harvard Business Review, Cass Business School, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they all said exactly the same thing, maybe using slightly different language, which is succession planning is about selecting and developing the person to take over, okay? Hmm. To me, that's only half the equation. The other half of the equation is preparing the incumbent leader, in in our case, because I work with senior leaders, preparing the incumbent to be ready to leave and to leave well in a timely way and have the person ready and willing to succeed. So we need to rethink succession planning as a model and add that other half into it. Um, so that's in terms of the models. In terms of values, I think I would be pretty sure that the duty of care that we have to people we employ is much more on the radar now and has been increasing. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about senior leaders is, like, we're not saving pandas here. Right, you know, the seniors are not an endangered species. They're 
they're tough, they're robust, they're, they're yeah. imaginative, they're creative, they get things done or whatever. So they don't need any sympathy. Um, but we do need to respect them. And we need to respect the contribution that they make, which often, and I'm not singling them out particularly, but being a senior leader for 10 years or 20 comes at a cost. It takes it out of people. Um, I mean, one person said to me, it's senior leaders, it's the equivalent to running a marathon every day, not physically, but emotionally. But yet people mm-hmm. who run marathons know they better rest the next day. Seniors just get up and do it again. So we take a lot from our senior leaders. So we do have a duty of care. And I think that's that has changed and is changing. Once you start to think about the age, ageism mm-hmm. raises its head, right? You're right. And to me, ageism is the last discrimination that, that dares to speak its name. Lots mm-hmm. of the other areas of discrimination, nobody would ever dream of mentioning it uh, doing anything other than trying to, to be whatever. But it is quite common in organisations to have conversations about, well, basically our senior leaders are past their sale by date by the time they're 52. Or, um, you know, <sighs> that uh, that belief, which you hear quite a lot is, of course, once people get into their 50s and into their 60s, they're slow, they're unable to change. They, You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, which isn't even true right. for dogs. Right, um, no. you know, losing their intellectual capabilities, um, losing their drive, they're becoming unhealthy. None of that is statistically or evidentially true. So all right. those decisions about, let's say it's fifty-three, are usually based on absolute nonsense. So yeah, that's where the next thing <laughs> would be. What, where is it we get to, and what that is? But the idea of everybody gets it in a fair way, and everybody gets the same thing is the critical bit. Yeah, and so uh, would you agree that then these? I, I mean, I, I'm sure you will agree, but these stepping out policies do help in combating sort of age discrimination in the workplace, especially at the executive level or across. Across the across the company, I would say, but I'll I'll address it from the senior perspective because that's where I do my work. I suspect ageism has felt more throughout the organisation and lower levels of the organisation than this at the top. But if you ask yourself the question, does ageism exist for senior leaders? then I'm absolutely sure the answer is yes, it does. <laughs> and there are judgments made, and I hear people talking about them, and they just go, I'm just getting the sense that people think I'm getting old for this job, or um, I, I'm getting a sense that people believe there should be new blood coming in, and I'm part of the old blood that should be going out. And they're often very subtle. But their messages and, and senior leaders pick them up. A couple of other mm-hmm. things about that is very often our own ageism plays into that. Mm-hmm. So I worked with one very senior director who was having difficulty. She was thinking of retiring, but she was having difficulty with dealing with a certain situation and it was annoying her and, and she was worried about it. And at one point she said, but maybe that's just because I'm 62. And I went, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Where's that <laughs> coming from? What means mm-hmm. that at 62 you're any less capable of 
dealing with it since he was nowhere two years ago or 10 years ago, or you will be. And what she thought about is she went, yeah, I'm just picking up the loose talk mm-hmm. about age. And so when I think about it, that's totally nonsense. But that's what she was yeah. saying to herself. There's also some very interesting work done that HR can can be the seat of a lot of ageism. If you look at the views of a lot of younger HR professionals as to how they view older workers, it can be very much that that they hold views of what happens to people as they get older or whatever. So I'm not beating up up younger HR professionals at all, but we all need to get onto this and go. So policies that go, let's make sure we're guarding against this. Let's make sure we're getting the best out of our people. I am, this is maybe ageist, but I am, with the people I work with, when I listen to them, when I see what they're doing, when I see what they go on to do, that if it's in the late 50s, early 60s, is the time that most people still step out. A lot of those people are only just coming into the very best of their mm-hmm. professional careers because they've got the experience, they've got the drive, they've got the intellectual acumen, they've got the change ability, they've got all of those things, and they've got the wisdom of experience. So why on mm-hmm. earth would we squander that? Why would we, we say, oh, well, we don't need those people anymore? Surely we're smarter than that, especially in the war for talent, of let's hold on to the people as long as we can, and and therefore we need to honour them. So that that would be, mm-hmm. I think that's to me where ageism sits in relation to this, and, any, and policies have to address it and go, how do we make sure that we're doing the best for people and avoiding the trap of ageism? Because it's bad for business. Yeah. Well, and I think about sort of my generation and I think, you know, when we hit our sort of early 50s, late 50s, early 60s, we won't have the same kind of restrictions on our time because families will be older. So you have a bit more freedom in that aspect as well. What measures would you say your approach includes to ensure that the policies are fair and unbiased towards senior executives? A few things. I think one, they need to be transparent. So you need to say, this is our policy. This is how we do it. It needs to be well thought through and tested out. So you involve senior leaders and say, what would make this fair? What would make it psychologically safe for you? What? So you engage with people. And that's why what's right for one company will not be right for another firm or another organization. Uh, so you do that, as I mentioned earlier, also that you get, you ensure you have buy-in from the most senior level. I think mm-hmm. for the most senior transitions, boards need to play a part in this. The, 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 the board of directors need to be bought into this and say, we can't afford to have disappointing transitions. Therefore, we've got to get it right. And we believe we need to honour the people who are coming to the, the point where they're stepping out. One of the key reasons is increasingly, we want our exiting senior leaders to go on to be ambassadors and advocates for the organisation because they hold the networks. Right. So if we don't look after mm-hmm. them well, right, how, how do we expect that they're then going to play that role to, to its maximum? So um, 
So the board needs to be bought into it. The chief executive needs to be bought into it. It very often falls to the chief people officer or the chief people and culture officer or whatever to put this together. And the only thing I would say about that is it's really smart to stand on the shoulders of giants, find out what other companies have done, find out how other organizations are doing it, learn from that, then talk with your people and then create a policy that absolutely is bespoke to what you need and then refine mm-hmm. it over the next hundred years because you won't get it right yeah. things keep changing <laughs> so you need to go back and go how can we make this better and what we can do but i can tell you that that in in the the, the big consultancy global consultancy firm I, I mentioned when they introduced their policy they had very low level buy into it and when they offered support services very people shoot up showed up to get the support after five years of really focusing explaining it involving people getting it right the the great majority of senior leaders wanted to be part of it so they joined but that was because they could trust it they felt it was fair and they knew that the support they were Mm -hmm. getting was really good support and was delivered with with a sense of honouring them and wanting them to do well, as well as looking after the, the the business itself. So those would be the sort of things that I think. I, I would love, Shannon, to be able to give you a, here's the five-point plan, or here's the one mm-hmm. we prepared earlier. But actually, I don't think that serves organisations well. Um, and one of the things that I increasingly do more of is to help organisations to in that process of putting their policies together. Now, I don't believe that I can offer a tell you how to do it service. I can offer, I can share what's going on. I can share what other organizations are doing. I can plug you into other people who are two years ahead of you in this or whatever. So I'm really happy to do that because doing it your own makes no sense. I mean, it's, you know, learn from others as you know. Yeah, no point in reinventing the wheel. So um, I think learning from others is the best way to evolve. These are the three considerations that I think most people, when they're thinking about this, need to take into account for themselves. The first one is, how do I finish well? So Mm -hmm. I'm a senior leader. I want to finish in my role with the the trajectory of, of my bit of the business going up, not down. I want my legacy to be secured because I've done all the things. I want to have finished all the products. I want to have handed over in succession terms to somebody really good as take. So they want to do all of those things. And that needs to be thought through and planned. So that's the first bit. The second bit then is this thing, okay, I turn 60, you know, next year and I'm retiring. That's another 30 years plus. How do I get my head around what I'm going to do with those 30 years. And it says a lot of time mm-hmm. to fund, but there's also a lot of time to fill. So, um, you know, I'm as an example of it in terms of going, I wasn't ready to put my feet up. I wasn't going to ever sit on the sofa and watch daytime TV. So I needed to decide, am I going to continue to work? If so, on my terms, what does that mean? Or I, I'm mm-hmm. one person who said, uh, who's very senior in, uh, in, a, in a big accountancy, global accountancy firm. And he said, I am retiring. The, the, my last day here, I will completely retire. I went, that's great. What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to climb Everest. And I thought he was being metaphorical, but he wasn't. He was actually going to climb Everest. So he oh, spent the okay. next three years getting into training, doing all the things, and he did climb Everest. So he 
he thought through that I need to be purposeful, but I'm not going to do it in work. I'm going to do it in what could be considered a leisure thing. But it's that. And right. one thing that I have noticed, John, which I think is really important for people to, to think about, and I very often talk to the people I'm coaching about it, is most senior leaders have never settled for mediocrity in their lives. That's the reason they're senior. They want right. quality, they demand quality, they drive for quality, they want, and, and they've never been prepared to take second best. They're always going to be the best. They get to this thing about saying, I'm thinking of finishing my career, and all of a sudden they're prepared to settle for mediocrity and go, well, I'll, you know, and I'm forever going, this is the greatest opportunity to make this wonderful. This should be yeah. the summation of all the hard work, everything you've done. And it can include work. It can include not working. It can include more time with your family or no more. It can include those hobbies and dreams. How do you put that together in a way that you're going to wake up in the morning and go, isn't this brilliant? That's mm-hmm. the this, sort this, this quality of it should be. So so that's right. And then the, so you've got the two horizons that finish well, plan the 30 years ahead and there's quite a lot in that which which needs to be worked through but then the third horizon is what i would call one step beyond how do you survive and flourish in the first six months so what are all changes have you got enough so so that's where the coaching will focus the critical thing for me about coaching is my job is to enable people to think at their very best not to tell them what Mm -hmm. to think so it's 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 that sort of a process yeah I love that. I mean, I know that when uh, when my mom was looking at retiring, she got a lot of advice not to retire in the winter time uh, <laughs> because in Canada there's a lot of snow, uh, so you'll be locked inside. So uh, she made sure to yeah. sort of think about her retirement summer and beyond because for the first six months, like you said, I think that's the crucial time I've heard. So Oliver, thank you so much. You've given us so much to think about. I have one last quick question for you. Um, Do you think that there are or are there any emerging trends or innovations in the field of executive transition that you find particularly exciting? I think, um, I think along with the idea that this is an idea that's time has come. And for all the changing in values and whatever, we should honor our senior leaders. But we also need to get succession planning right. So we help people mm-hmm. to leave well, as well as have the right people coming through to make all of that work. And that we can't afford the cost of getting it wrong, not just in money terms, but in all about reputation and damage and all of those things. So to me, that's mm-hmm. the most thing is that we've arrived at the point where people are reckoning that this is a need. We need to be doing this, not for sentimental reasons uh, or sentimental reasons alone, because I think we should be sentimental about good servants and people who serve us yeah. well, but for good business reasons as well. So to me, that's the, the biggest emerging trend. And I can tell you that even three years ago, the conversations I were having were speculative as to, well, we might need this. This might be useful. The conversation I'm having even now, three years later, is we need to be doing this. So I think that that's already happening and whatever. So I look forward to, mm-hmm. seeing, to seeing where it's going. I, I was going to leave you with, with, with one story again that is really is about honouring senior leaders. And it's a friend of mine whose father 
was a senior civil servant and had been involved in the fisheries department. Uh, and okay. it was at a time, this was in the 1960s and early 70s. Mm-hmm. And it was at the time the civil service did a really good job. They got the policies and practices really well. They really looked after the, you know, the, the people who were, the, who were fishing as well as everyone. They did a great job. But also Ken, is his name, was one of my favorite adults from the, the gen, you know, my parents' generation. And I just really just loved him, right? Um, he retired. 15 years later, they bought a new shipping vessel, right? So a new big ship, and they called it the Ken Vickers. So 15 years later, they, they named it after him. And you have to go, what was it? would give an organization that doesn't have a long memory to do that. It's because they actually honored this individual for what he had done. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just that he was successful in business. It was how much he helped other people, how much he did all of those things. So I think that's the sort of honor we need to be making commonplace in organizations, not just for the individual, but because that's so good for organizations to say we do honor the people who went before, we do give them their place. Yeah, I mean, and even just that's an amazing story for the individual and his family, but even hearing me hearing that makes me think of that company, um, you know, in a in a nicer light as well. So the reputational yeah. side for businesses. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it extends beyond just um, yeah. doing right by the individual. Thank you so much, Oliver. As we bring today's episode of Pontoon Reimagine Now to a close, I really just want to say thank you for being our first guest on the, the podcast. Your insights were invaluable. I think the stepping out policy and its transformational impact on leadership and organizational health is very clear. Your expertise has not only enlightened us, but also offered a fresh perspective on navigating executive transitions with dignity and strategic foresight. To our esteemed listeners, today's conversation has highlighted a crucial but often overlooked aspect of organizational dynamics, the art of graceful transition in leadership. The stepping out policy, as we've learned, is not merely about making room for new leadership, but about honoring the journey of seasoned executives and ensuring their legacy continues to enrich the organization. For HR leaders and CEOs in our audience, this discussion serves as a reminder of the importance of proactive succession planning, the sensitivity required in managing executive transitions, and the value of fostering a culture that respects and supports these pivotal changes. Implementing a stepping out policy is not just a strategic move, it's a commitment to the ethical stewardship of human capital and the cultivation of sustainable leadership pipelines. As you reflect on the insights shared today, I encourage you to consider how your organization can benefit from adopting a similar approach. Embracing such progressive policies can significantly contribute to the vitality and agility of your leadership structures. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking content, exploring the intricate world of human resources and executive management. Join us on our next episode as we continue to delve into the topics that shape the future of leadership and organizational success. Don't forget to check us out on LinkedIn and our website, pontoonsolutions.com. This is Shannon Robertson wishing you inspired leadership and strategic excellence. Until next time, keep leading with vision and purpose.